Petersfield's Shine Radio. Shine Radio's Growing Together with Claire Venice and Steve Amos is supported by Alitex. Modern Victorian glasshouses made in South Harting. Hello and thank you for joining us in Growing Together. I'm Claire Venice and I'm joined by the Adhurst Estate Allotment Chairman, Steve Amos. Good evening. Busy day? Very busy. Yeah. Had a sneaky trip up to Burford Garden Centre. <laughs> On the ruse of going to visit your dad. It was a lovely day. And I tell you, the bulb selection there. Hopefully you restrained yourself. I was very well behaved. Good. A couple of little naughty spends, as Anne-Marie would say, but it was a nice day, thank you. Now, down here at the allotment, it's the evening. It is. We, we don't usually come in the evening, do we? No, we don't. But it's half past five, quarter to six. And there's plenty going on though. There's a strimmer in the background. Phil's busy strimming in the wildflower meadow that we've got. So, And then he's going to collect the seeds and then distribute the seeds in another area. Oh, amazing. Yeah. He's not? a busy person. He is, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Phil Paolo. We've spoken to him a number of times on Growing Together, but I'm looking forward to talking to him at the Tree Festival. Yeah, it's coming up, isn't it? Towards the end of November. November, yeah. Really looking forward to that. So joining us in this episode, Helen Makara from Wild Seasons Foraging. She's a local forager, and I went for a walk with her to, to see what we could find. And then we've also got the second instalment of the Working Garden Diary with Head Gardener Ben Pope. Sounds good. Delight to go back there. Steve, congratulations are in order. Well, we've had a busy week, haven't we? We have. So, <laughs> yes, my um, my appointment to the Petersfield in Bloom was their new vice president, which is rather grand, isn't it? It's great. I'm really <laughs> excited for this because we've been involved slightly with Petersfield in Bloom this year and that we helped publicise the event and they named a category after us called Grow Your Own. So it was the prize-giving night. You gave a lovely speech. Thank you. And we met some wonderful local growers. Oh, we did, didn't we? Especially the guys from Lavent Court. What a lovely couple of fellas they were. One of the guys there, he's a big fan of um, standard fuchsias. I mean, he's got some there that are sort of 30 to 40 years old, Incredible. which is amazing. Yeah, so we're definitely going to have to have a visit there. And then just some of the other residents of Petersfield that love their gardens and love the environmental side of things as well. And I think the next Petersfield in Bloom competition, hopefully we can have a bit more input and hopefully we can start sort of jigging it up a bit and dragging it kicking and screaming into the 21st century brilliant we shall see that's what i like to hear exactly so that was thursday friday we were at the petersfield pumpkin association at their weigh-in we were oh my days we thought we had done well didn't we we did (laughs) (laughs) until we got there (laughs) and realized we had little piddlers (laughs) compared to some of the pumpkins well to put it into context my biggest weighed in pounds because they weigh in pounds there 43 pounds however (laughs) the winning pumpkin was 114 pounds and change it was enormous wasn't it it was enormous (laughs) very impressive oh it was brilliant it was such good fun and again such enthusiastic people all just really keen amateurs having a bit of fun there was loads of banter i really enjoyed it really good bunch of people and very much a family affair as well there were children there who'd got involved with growing their pumpkins and the competition involved growing 100 weight pumpkins and also rogue varieties which are chosen each year so there's different varieties each year you don't know what you're going to get well you grew the random ones didn't you the rogue ones how did you get on in the competition claire i didn't bring mine because they were too small but Having seen the competition, you could have had a, a little cute one. See, that's, that is a message to everybody that <laughs> thinks about entering a competition and doesn't want to because they don't think theirs is good enough. Enter 
The more people that enter competitions, the better the competition. You're right, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> Are we going to grow again next year? Definitely. Yeah. I'm already planning what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. It's all about pumpkins next year. <laughs> I love your enthusiasm. So thank you very much to the Petersfield Pumpkin Growers Association for welcoming us so warmly. I've also visited Jekka's Herb Farm in the last week or so, which is just outside of Bristol. And that was another treat. If you can go and visit places, and, and a lot of these places are closing down now for the autumn winter season, but put it on your list for next year. It's wonderful to go and visit these yeah. places. Get some advice and some inspiration too. And the thing is going to these specialist nurseries and growers, you get expert advice. That's all they do. And they really know what they're talking about, don't they? Talking of this time of year, there are some wonderful hedgerow goodies you can find. And actually this year, it's been really good for lots of hips and berries. I don't know if you've noticed. Oh, berries, definitely. I went on a lovely foraging walk with Helen Makara from Wild Seasons Foraging. I've been really looking forward to meeting Helen Makara from Wild Seasons Foraging. We've been talking about getting together and going for a walk and, and doing some foraging, which is what you like to do. Yes, I love it. I do it every day. Yeah, let's see if we can find something exciting today. It's been very dry and very warm, so lots of things are quite confused. The nettles are still growing and the fungi aren't growing, but uh, there's lots of berries and things around, so I'm sure we'll find something to eat. Yes, because this has been quite a strange beginning to autumn, hasn't it? It's been a really warm September and although we've had some rainy days it's been very dry. How has that affected the foraging this year? It's been great for the berries. The hedgerows have been rammed full of all kinds of edible berries but the fungi are just super slow so normally at this time of the year I'd be picking all kinds of different species of fungi and by taking people out on courses and finding dozens and dozens of different species but this year it's just really slow. I think we're running about a month behind from what I can tell from the ones that are popping up. So really? It's having that much an effect? Yeah, a huge effect and it's not just here, it's all over the country. Scotland's had quite a lot of cold, wet weather so they've been okay but even for in Wales are saying that they're struggling to find the species that they would normally expect. I've got my fingers crossed that it's just delayed and it will be okay and we will find lots of fungi before the winter sets in, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. That's the joy of foraging. You never know what you're going to get. So wild seasons foraging. How long have you been a forager? Forever. I can't remember when I wasn't. My mum taught us, uh, I come from quite a large family, she just taught us how to forage in the woods when we were really little. Her dad and her uncles had taught her when she grew up in the countryside around Lincolnshire and we just absorbed it from her I don't even really remember her teaching us I just know that we were told it and we just remembered it and then I just did it as a hobby for ages and then about 10 years ago I watched John Wright on River Cottage teaching Hugh Fernley Whittingstall how to forage for mushrooms and I thought that looks like so much fun I'd not done that before so I booked on a course with John and I didn't look back. He was brilliant, so supportive. I went out with him as much as I could. In the end, I decided that what I wanted to do was what he did, which is to be a professional foraging course leader. So I started out in lockdown, you know, that period when we were allowed to go out with groups of six people. And I haven't looked back. Obviously, it booked up really quickly at that point because everybody wanted to experience something outside. And it's just been super busy since then. I, actually, I'm a bit shocked by it all because I didn't expect it to take off in quite the way that it has done. So now that's what I do full time. I run foraging courses or if I'm not running courses, then I'm doing research or inventing new recipes or spending time with other foragers learning about foraging or just out getting loads of things so that I've got food to offer the people that come on my courses what a wonderful thing to do absolutely brilliant and i cannot believe 
believe I get to do it as a job. It's a joy. So you must be out in all kinds of weather and all times of year. Can you forage throughout the year? You can forage throughout the year. There's always something to pick. There are fungi that will grow through the winter months. There usually are some greens somewhere that will still be popping through at the base of hedgerows and things. There's not as much volume around. That's the issue. So if you want to go out and go foraging, it's generally just something to take home as a snack. You're not going to be picking loads and loads in January and February. But once March starts and the nettles really start growing and the goose grass starts growing then, you can start picking quite large volumes of things then and then you can pick right the way through until the first frosts, really. As a professional forager and a member of the Association of Foragers, I always talk about uh, sustainable foraging and about only picking what you need for yourself. So it's not about going out and picking bags and bags full there's this kind of image that foragers go out and they stuff carrier bags full of food that is not what we're about we're about going out and picking things when they're in glut freezing them or pickling them or putting them to some kind of preserve just so that we've got things to see us through the winter months but we're absolutely definitely not about picking loads of things all in one go and then getting home with carrier bags that we can't do anything with because that does nobody any good We want to come back year after year, month after month to the same places and see if we can carry on picking those things in our favourite chanterelle spots. You know, we want to go back year after year. So the last thing we're going to do is pick every single one. We'll pick enough that we need for that day or maybe that day and the day after and then we'll leave the rest for the rabbits and the squirrels and the badgers. The badgers do more damage than the foragers, to be honest with you, because once they found a patch of chanterelles, they dig the whole lot up. They munch the whole lot. Mushrooms, mycelium, everything. So there's very little left. Word gets out. (laughs) I have really fond memories of blackberry picking with my mum when I was young. And there's some great recipes you can make from the the things that you find by foraging. Do you do that as well? I love using the things that I find um, to cook with. I'm not a chef. I love to take it home and do basic home cooking with it and preserving things. Jams, making homemade sweets infusing things in alcohol which features quite heavily in my courses as people that have been out with me will testify to vodka gets mentioned quite often (laughs) so there are lots of things that you can do with forage foods and I love to experiment with them and see what I can create sometimes they're delicious other times you're like oh no maybe not that one then but um, it's fun and that's what I love about it I recommend everybody go out and giving it a go yes we've wandered down to another area we are in the area of Liss which is in Hampshire getting quite windy you can probably here the wind is absolutely lovely in the trees where we are at the moment as we were walking down here there were some rose hips and you mentioned oh i must come back and collect some rose hips what are you planning to do with rose hips i need to make some rose hip syrup i've promised a friend of mine that i will make her some um i've already made some but it's all gone um when people come on my courses i give them all kinds of nibbles and, and treats and things so i usually give them something savory and something sweet and then there'll be a soft drink or um something infused in vodka or gin or rum or whiskey it just gives people a chance then to taste and they can have a go at doing it themselves at home the recipes are on my website and so people try it and they go oh I like this and they go home and make flapjacks and what I want to do is make sure that people love doing it but feel that it's something that they can carry on doing when I'm not around are there any do's and don'ts of foraging you mentioned about not taking 
too much when you forage. What are the do's and don'ts you would say to people who are thinking about going out and foraging this time of year? Well, the thing to do is to make sure that whatever it is you pick, you're 100% sure of what it is when you pick it before you put it in your mouth. So 99.9% sure is not good enough. There are people that have killed themselves on 99.9% sure. So you have to be 100% sure. But start off with basic things like steam nettles, elderflowers and blackberries, those sorts of things, wild garlic, dandelions. Daisies are edible. Oxide daisies are delicious. So there are all kinds of things that we recognise when we go for a walk. We just don't realise that they're edible. Go on a course with somebody. It doesn't have to be me, although that would be brilliant. There are quite a few foragers around and about. Go onto the Association of Foragers website and see if you've got one near you. There are foragers up and down the country, so have a go at that. It's brilliant to learn from somebody who's actually there right in front of you because they can show you the fine detail of exactly what to look for. But if you're on your own, get yourself a book that will help you identify wild plants or fungi and also a foraging book that will tell you which ones are poisonous which ones are edible and what to do with them so they often have recipes in so you can teach yourself but it's sometimes easier to go out with somebody at least once just to sort of feel like you you've got your nerve and you can recognize things and you do know what you're doing now this time of year a lot of people would think foraging and think of mushrooms there must be a number of mushrooms you come across when you go foraging in the autumn there are. There's roughly about 8,000 different species of fungi in the UK, from the yeast that you find in your beer and your bread to the fly agarics, the red and white fairy mushrooms that we find in the woods. About 300 of them are edible. Um, some of them are more delicious than others, so just because it's edible doesn't necessarily mean it's yummy. But as you can see, if there's only 300 edible, that leaves thousands that are, that are inedible. Just be really careful. Go out with someone that can teach you, because fungi is not really something that you can learn from a book very easily. And just focus on, on, on picking the ones that you know are safe. So that might be just two or three species, but that's great. That's enough. You don't need to be picking more. It's good to get out in the wild. So are there any restrictions with regards to foraging in our countryside? There are restrictions about foraging in our countryside, but actually it's more open than most people realise. So if you have somewhere that's open access land, woodland where you're allowed to walk freely through the woods, town parks, anywhere where you might go with your dog for a long walk, those sorts of places you can forage for leaves, fruits, seeds, nuts, berries and fungi. You're not allowed to dig anything up because you have to ask the landowner's permission, but you're allowed to pick to eat wild food and we have that right enshrined in law, so the right to forage for food is something that we have on open access land. It's different if you're going onto private land or it's just a footpath, a permissive footpath through someone's land. The laws around that are different, a bit tighter. Obviously, if it's private land, you're not allowed to go on there because you'd be committing the act of trespass. But uh, if it's open access land and you see blackberries or dandelions, then you're allowed to pick them there. Good to know. What's your favourite thing to go foraging for? And what's the most exciting thing that you've foraged? My favourite thing? Now, that's, that depends on the time of the year. In the springtime, it will be the new nettles that are popping up. And then when the elderflowers come, I get very excited and tend to bounce up and down a bit like Tigger. And then the berries start and then I'm running around trying to get things infused in vodka quickly and turn, turning them into jam. And then the mushrooms start and I'm once again bouncing around like Tigger, which uh, is good fun for everybody who sees me in the woods. My favourite thing, I think, to find are cauliflower fungus, which are the most bizarre looking mushrooms. They look like someone's got a cauliflower 
and crossed it with a natural sponge they've got from the Mediterranean and then they've placed it on the ground at the bottom of a pine tree and just left it there. But it's an edible mushroom, it tastes delicious, it's really nutty and they just look so bizarre. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you very much for telling us more about wild season foraging and how much delight you get out of it. Thank you very much for asking me. It's been lovely to come out with you today. Helen forages year round and she has a number of different courses you can sign up to if you go to her website, wildseasonsforaging.co.uk. Did you know, Steve, there's a National Fungus Day on October the 7th, just past. Excellent. The 10th year, apparently, that the British Mycological Society have been celebrating the fungal world. So, Steve, sat here at your allotment plot. It's a very pleasant evening and your dahlias are still flowering. The dahlias and the zinnias are still going mad, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I just picked a big bunch full of zinnias, actually. And and they'll keep going. I'll keep deadheading and they'll keep going the dahlias particularly will produce smaller and smaller flowers but they're great for the house they're great for a vase and they'll keep going until the first frost so do you just leave them until that time of year when it just gets colder are you planning to leave the tubers in this year so we're going to have a bit of a shake-up of the dahlias this year they're all coming out and i'm actually redesigning the allotment reassigning beds i'm going to do four or five of these big beds all as dahlias and then the veg flowers on the right hand side veg on the left so quite a change here yeah. then all the beds will stay the same size but the big ones might get a little bit smaller actually depending on the timber i can get yeah so big plans afoot i think it looked good changes are good as a rest it is it's nice to have plans like that i think through this time of year where you can rethink how your year went how everything grew if it didn't succeed why not if it was successful what you're going to continue doing yeah it's a really really great time of year to plan that i have got a ridiculous amount of autumn raspberries which keep popping up and i well, love them but i'll have some off you so. if you're going to dig them out because I, I need to go again on the raspberry bed again i think i'm going to go a smaller raspberry bed so if you've got any spares oh i'm glad i yeah, mentioned it yeah no me too good but I, <laughs> for me timber and compost i'm, I'm gonna to have to buy in but you know there's, there's a few local suppliers of both you've mentioned absolutely farm a few of the people have started using their stuff here it looks really good quality and and the thing is using that stuff as good as farmyard manure is it's not sterilised, so you get lots of weeds in it. So I'm going to use the Aspley Farm. I would really recommend them because yeah, I used them for the first time last year. They're based in Andover and they will deliver within a 30-mile radius for free. And it's really worth getting, and if you can spend the money on a dumpy bag, that's what yeah. we call a dumpy bag, yeah. which is about 730 litres of their soil-improving mulch. And oh my goodness, has it made a massive has difference to my garden this yeah. year. Well, I used them at the garden that I was growing the dahlias for. We redid the big greenhouse, they've got a bed. So we dug out all the old soil and compost of the bed in there and then put one and a half of those bags in of their veg mix, I think it is, which is a mixture of compost, soil, manure, all mixed together. And the tomatoes have been bonkers this year up there. It's well worth it. It really, yeah. really is. An exciting thing is that they bring it on the back of their truck and there's a crane hook as well. <laughs> Everyone loves a crane. But be prepared for a workout because you have to then get it out of the dumpy bag, put it in your wheelbarrow, wheelbarrow it to your plot, tip it in, but you just lay it over the top. Don't dig it in, just lay it over the top. Well, I'll let you know when we're doing this because I think I'm going to need about 10 bags. Okay. <laughs> Happens to be going away that weekend. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Well, I tell you who has beautiful dahlias, almost as lovely as yours, Steve. Oh, Claire, you say the most wonderful thing. And that is at the private garden where head gardener Ben Pope works. And I'm delighted to say he's back for a second instalment of The Working Garden Diary, catching up with Ben in his garden in October.
I'm back in the private garden in West Sussex that is looked after so lovingly by head gardener Ben Pope. And I'm here with Ben for the second instalment of the Working Garden Diary. Hello, Ben. Hello, good afternoon. Lovely to see you again. You too, you too. And what a glorious day we've had today. And isn't it, it's like summer's back. It's incredible because we're talking gardening for mid-October and it certainly doesn't feel like October, does it? No, not at all. And and it's shown a little bit in, in the garden with some things, but you know, equally the sun's really giving those late flowering dahlias or ripening raspberries it's really kind of giving it a push so it's, it's it's ever so useful i think and a nice hurrah before the darkness of winter comes hold on to it as long as possible <laughs> exactly it's sort of elongating that flowering and fruiting season isn't it it certainly does mm. everything's just sort of trying to hang in there and go on a little bit longer so what have you been doing in the garden since we last spoke to you? I mean, even just a month ago, the garden looks different here. So yeah. different flowers popping out, different colours coming through. The purples and the oranges are striking at the moment. Exactly. It gets very, very vibrant as we get into autumn. And one of those things, it, it's the asters, you know, the daisies. They really, really come into their own early autumn and late summer. I mean, the late summer show was a bit sad because of all, all the rain we had in August and there was mildew and things. But these later flowering ones that are filling the borders now, they're looking fantastic. Do you pick them to dry them at all? Are they good for drying flowers, keeping that colour? The asters, we don't. I don't I don't actually know. I mean, there is a lot of other flowers we do pick through the growing season. I mean, now your hydrangeas will be colouring up beautifully. You'll get really nice red tones. So now is the time to pick a load of those and dry them. And then, But through the growing season, we're picking all sorts of stuff from nigella pods, to um there's limonium you know status i think is the common name there's a lovely one an elongated one called sarawoei which is a bit of a mouthful <laughs> but but yeah absolutely gorgeous and i mean i mean there are so many more things that people are now picking it's not like that sort of 70s cliche of the you know orange flowers that people used to have it's, it's very different now. Yeah, there are ways to maintain that colour, aren't there, if you dry them right? Yeah, drying them in the dark is really, really good. So you want nice dry atmosphere. Hang them upside down as well, because what they can do is flop when you first cut them. I mean, hydrangeas, we tend to take all the excess foliage off that you don't need. And again, that's a really good thing with any dried flowers that you're doing, because that will help them dry quicker. And with the hydrangea stems and the flowers at the top, we'll just arrange them in a vase even, and actually just sit them in a darkish room or a living room or indoors somewhere away from direct sunlight because that can make the colours fade and yeah they dry they dry beautifully and you can enjoy them through the winter and roses in fact you know if you pick roses when they're really tight in bud they need hanging upside down that they can look fantastic for a long time as well so do you also collect seed here from the flowers and the vegetables that you grow yeah definitely and again we start that from early in the year with things like corn cockles, nigellas that will finish and set seed probably June, July time, right through to now. Yeah, we're collecting sunflower seeds. Lots of the cut flowers that we grow, the annual cut flowers, we'll be collecting those seeds, the tithonias, um, the limonium I've mentioned, but then also, yeah, vegetables. So um, broad beans, we'll, we'll collect some of those and, and use them early on. Peas, so any peas that go, which we've already collected because they would have finished earlier in the summer, but we sort of now use those as sprouting peas through the winter. So we'll be putting them into pots um, as we go into winter, growing them in the greenhouse and then cutting the, the pea shoots because there's nothing quite like that for brightening up a winter salad. What else? I mean, yeah, tomatoes now, you can certainly do those. One to avoid is your squashes because they can revert back and, and you can end up with squashes and pumpkins that taste quite bitter and are, are actually a little toxic. So some seeds you do buy, it's worth buying every year. And if you're slightly unsure 
if your seed's going to revert back to something else. I would always say it's worth buying decent quality stuff because you're going to spend all that time growing it, you know, sowing it, looking after it, pricking it out, all those things. And so you want to, at the end of it, get what you were kind of hoping to get in the first place. Um, but if you're not too worried about the colour so much and you don't mind a little bit of reversion or variation, then yeah, definitely collect collect your own seeds. It's a good way to do it, isn't it? Have your own varieties. Indeed. Well, this is how they yeah, plant breeding, you know. You could be the next specialist plant breeder to come up with a beautiful dahlia or, or whatever, yeah. You never yeah. know. Now, this time of year, although we've just said how beautiful it all looks and everything's still flowering and fruiting, are you preparing your beds for the autumn and the winter? Yes, yes, we are starting to, simply because we can't leave it all to the spring to tidy up so we are looking at tidying up things and I'm also re-evaluating timings because we're getting these drier springs now these hot dry springs so we're trying to get a lot of plants established and, and this time of year is perfect for planting so whether that's changing your perennials adding additional perennials hardy perennials you know we're coming into the tree and shrub season to plant now which is really good and then also bulbs bulbs for spring so it's a bit early perhaps to start with tulips, but definitely get your narcissus in. They'll put their roots out really soon. So any daffodils you're thinking of adding to your borders or to your lawns, perfect. Crocus, hyacinths, anything like that. I'd be leaving the tulips though probably till November, till the soil gets a bit colder. What are your favourite bulbs that you plant here then? I quite like forcing bulbs, you know, under glass. That's a really good thing because in the depths of winter, that January, February, when you're a bit, oh, you know, want something uplifting, you can have something you can take into the house. And so we do the classics like the paper whites. There's paper white zivia, and then also um, there's a nice one called early cheer that we, we end up putting out into the garden after its first year. Forcing hyacinths is always good, and of course you want the prepared hyacinths that have been chilled, so they'll naturally come into flower. And muscaris, I quite like the little muscaris. You can get lots of different ones now, and so we're mixing various different types. You can buy them quite cheaply, and again, just sort of growing them in a cool greenhouse or somewhere sheltered, you know, that sits a little bit warmer. You can actually get them flowering two or three, four weeks earlier than what they would be in the garden. So you can enjoy pots of them in the house and then put them in the garden for the following year. And they're all good pollinators for you know, early bumblebees in end of February, March that wake up. So nice thing to do. As we were walking into the garden here, the roses are still flowering. I mean, this is the time of year when you would consider cutting back, climbing roses, rambling roses, are you holding off on doing that for a little while? We are, yes. I mean, our rambling roses and, and climbers are all on the back of walls of big herbaceous borders, so we have to do them all in the dormant season, otherwise we trample our borders. But the, the shrub roses, you're right, they've really kind of found that sense of new vigour again. And, and I think we suffered a bit from black spot earlier in the summer, and they went slightly dormant, maybe August, and then with this better weather through September coming now into October, they're, they're really, really enjoying it. They've got their moisture, they've got warmth, and even though the daylight, you know, the lengths, day lengths are getting shorter, they seem to be enjoying it and flowering, which is, you know, another bonus, isn't it? Keep deadheading, right? Yes, yeah. But the hips on some of the others are, I mean, I'm looking across now at that lovely orange one, that's autumn fire. You know, they're really starting to colour up as well. So it's a real mixture we've got this year of flowers and real big hips developing. Quite a colour combination. It's lovely. Interesting though, isn't it? These the last couple of years that we've had in the garden, we couldn't have possibly had two more contrasting years. I mean, who knows what we're going to have next year? How are you preparing for the change in the weather and, and what we might be faced with come winter and summer? 
So we're thinking about mulching, getting soil covered, and just trying to get plants established. Anything new that you're adding to your garden, either planting really early or planting this side of um, Christmas. So our hardy annuals that we've sown and pricked out and we're growing on now, they'll go into the borders probably actually this side of Christmas and we'll hope for very little um, intense frost. You know, we, you never know. You never know what you're going to get. Um, but we can always have the second option of sowing some more sort of February time if we need to if, if, if the winter's been particularly harsh. I think that's the thing isn't it about the hardy annuals if you sow them now for an early flowering next year they will get off to a good start because it's so warm but if it continues to be warm you've got to be careful they don't go too far. What do you do about that? Yeah that's exactly right Claire. The trick is I think is give them that warmth to germinate and they don't even need that much you know sometimes only about 18 degrees and then cool them off as soon as you can even when they're seedlings when they're just growing just get them somewhere slightly cooler grow them a little bit slower and then and then prick them out we prick them out when they're still quite small in fact because they're easier to handle and then yeah grow them on either outside or somewhere just a little bit cooler so they grow nice and tight and strong and tough really that's what you want because they're the plants that are going to be able to cope with any frosts that come through winter could you put them in a cold frame exactly that you could keep them in your pots put them in a cold frame or next to a sheltered wall if you've got an overcovered area and then come when sort of february time when the worst of the frosts have gone and you find a period when we're not going completely freezing um yeah pop them in the ground and off they'll go so ben i wanted to ask you this is such a lovely place to work when you come here first thing in the morning and you walk through the gate into the garden what do you think about i imagine every day must be different here it is every day is different and you know sometimes you come in with a plan but the weather can change or my employers might say oh actually we really like a load of that picked because we want to make a soup so you have to have the ability to change but generally there's a to-do list a monthly list i've talked about how much i like lists <laughs> And, and we try and work through that and keep an eye on that, but it is rolling. But I am definitely in that mode, thinking about what can we get done today? What needs to be done first, prioritising. Come the end of the day, sort of like we are now, especially if the team have gone home, I slow down and I can potter a bit. That's when I relax and you can hear the birds, the sun's low, it's catching plants nicely. And, and that's when you can sort of look and enjoy it a bit and not think, oh gosh, I need to do all of those things. Breathe and yeah, enjoy it. indeed, indeed, it's important. Now, another part of this garden, you have a lovely formal lawn area. Obviously, that needs quite a lot of attention to make it look so lovely throughout the year. What do you do with a lawn <laughs> this time of year? That's very kind of you to say, Claire, but we've actually got lots of um, daisies and <laughs> dandelions in there and all sorts of things. So um, I do bare minimum to the lawn. But the one really important thing I would say if you're going to do anything to your lawn is to scarify it whether you're using a machine or a hand rake and just scratching away, but it's pulling out all that old dead thatch, dead grass that forms a layer that can impede water penetration during the growing season. And it can also actually impede gas exchange as well. So it just basically clears all of that out and lets the roots breathe, water get into the soil and creates a much more healthy growing environment. It also helps the grass stand up so it looks fresher and nicer rather than sort of growing horizontal, especially if you've been mowing all season. And um, Traditionally, it would have been done September time so that it had chance to recover and look nice. Um, but we tend to do ours now in October because grass grows all the way into December nowadays. If you were going to feed your lawn, there's an autumn feed 
and a um, spring feed. So the autumn feed helps with all the roots and that development, whereas the spring feed is full of nitrogen and encourages all that leafy growth for the summer. And it must take quite a while to scarify and look after the lawns here though. So do you have quite a few <laughs> tools and, and equipment to look after that? We have one, one scarifier and um, I'm, as I'm very lucky to have a, a dedicated team. So we all get together and we, we rake up all the, all the moss and, and the dead thatch that comes out and make these kind of molehills all over the lawn and then it's literally I'm a bit old school unfortunately so it's barrowing raking that's quite a workout do you give them a warning when it's the, the raking day so they can come prepared yeah we'll start <laughs> off with you know some exercises limber up in the morning and then make sure we've got loads of cake for tea break you know <laughs> keep the spirits up it's the only way to get through it I think isn't it it is it is and, and if you're working together as a team it can be quite a nice thing all camaraderie working together when we have a chat and a laugh and yeah just get stuck in and there's cake after what flavour cake is the most popular here then Oh, well, I do um, my tiramisu cake, which is um, coffee liqueur. Very nice. But we're quite fond of Ottolinghi, um Rocky Road as well. And that's got lime and coffee and cardamom. It's, it's very nice, yeah. Wow. I think I might have to bring my rake next time I come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, join the team. There's lots to do. Thanks so much, Ben. Once again, it's been lovely just to sit here in the garden, take in the sounds, the smells, the sight of this gorgeous place. Thank you for giving us your expertise again this month. Are there any last-minute tips you'd like to give? Something you wouldn't normally think, but also start to get everything organised within our buildings and our structures. So cleaning the greenhouses before all the tender stuff has to come in is really important. But then also, you know, organising your tool sheds, cleaning your tools before you put them away. One thing a lot of people forget is lawnmowers. You know, you put them away for winter and then spring comes and you realise the blades are blunt or it's not going to start. And then everybody takes their mowers to get serviced in March and April. If you do it now before you put it away, you, you know, you're guaranteed your mower's going to sit there all winter, nice and clean and, and serviced. And then come spring when you need it most, it's ready to go. Don't all rush at once. It's always the way. <laughs> ben, thank you very much. Enjoy the gardening this time of year. Thank you. And yeah, always lovely to chat. Thanks so much, Ben. Lots of lovely tips this month and loving the cake incentive too. Well, I've had a fun project in that this year I made some hanging baskets that I put some vegetables in, which was really successful for a short amount of time until yep. they flowered. Yep. But the peas were great. The beetroot were amazing. Okay. And I had some strawberries in there as well. It was quite a fun thing to do. So they've come out now and I've now made an autumn one. I've included some herbs in, so there's got some thyme in there, different varieties of thyme. And actually I put some bulbs in as well. So the bulbs you and will your pop bulbs, up. Honestly. Mm. I like the colour. You've got to hide them somewhere, I suppose, haven't you? <laughs> exactly. Well, the only packet of bulbs I bought at Burford was a packet of crocus that are good for naturalizing in the garden and I've got a shady area and I've dug up an area and I need to now plant for the autumn and winter and obviously for the spring so I'd love to have some crocus coming up in the spring and also oh hellebores season is coming for hellebores and I love them absolutely love them you know I think they're really lovely I've got a few in pots that's all I'm saying on the matter oh okay (laughs) Yeah, I rescued a few from somewhere. They come in all sorts of colours, don't they? It's a winter rose, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's right. They yeah. are. And they, they really are absolutely beautiful. They're, there are a number of plants that will flower over the winter, but I think hellebores in particular yeah. are beautiful. No, they're lovely. So, and you can split them, can't you? Yes, you can. We've got a couple of big clumps up at Steep Marsh, like big clumps that I need to 
probably quarter and spread them out along the bed. So there's a shady bed up there which has got some lovely hellebores in, which I'm probably going to quarter and spread out sometime soon. Unfortunately, it's got ground alder in it and you just can't get rid of the stuff. So as much stuff as we can get in the bed to keep it at bay, the better really. Ground elder, I have that in my garden and I'm starting to learn to love it a little bit in that I try to keep on top of it, pull it out when I can, but the leaves are actually quite pretty and the flowers are lovely and I cut them and put them in vases. I haven't got the Romans to thank for ground elder. Yep, so herbs that so was brought over by it. the Romans. <laughs> you can, you can eat it, but it's probably better to eat it in the springtime when it's fresh and new. Yeah, Good yeah, in okay. a salad. There you go. But yeah, Roman herb. Roman herb. Spread Pain everywhere. Of, I think uh, to quote Pippa Greenwood from Gardener's Question Time a number of years ago, someone phoned in and said, I have ground alder in my garden, what can I do? And she said, move. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. <laughs> well, it's a lovely, quiet evening now here at the allotment. There's a little bird still chirping behind us. Yeah, Phil stopped strimming. He has. He's collecting the seeds now. And, and just enjoy the peace and quiet here. I know, I might, might sit up here for 10 minutes before I have to go back home. Nice thing to do, isn't I it? I think if so. you can. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And to our guests, Helen Makara and Ben Pope. We would love to hear from you as well. So if you have a question or you'd just like to say hello, you can email us, joinusandgrow at gmail.com. If you'd like to receive our newsletter, which is twice a month, send us an email too. And we also have a Growing Together Instagram page growing together underscore podcast say hello give us a follow we'll be back in early november until then happy gardening growing together is new twice a month and supported by alitex modern victorian glass houses made in south harting get the latest editions of growing together at any time at shineradio.uk come on petersfield let's build a band a beat from Dragon Street And a snare from the square A bass from Penn's Place A gliss from Liss And a fill from Bell Hill Ooh, some vocals from us locals And the Dave Gilmore of Tilmore Only Petersfield's Shine Radio plays original music from local musicians. The Local Showcase with Mandy P is sponsored by Brickyard Studios. Petersfield's professional recording studio, rehearsal space and PA hire. The Local Showcase, Thursday nights at 9 and always online at shineradio.uk.